as he makes his way from the Jordan River where his uh, mentor Elijah had been taken from him up in the whirlwind. And uh, he is on his way to Samaria. Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom, Israel. And uh, it's kind of his headquarters, if you will. And he is on his way there. And he comes through Jericho. And that's what we looked at last week. And he left the waters of Jericho fully cured. Or not last week, but last time left the waters of Jericho fully healed from a deadly curse. And he makes his way to Bethel, and he's just passing through, but something interesting happens, uh, maybe a little bit disturbing happens while he is on his way. And we're going to read about that, and we're going to pick up our reading tonight in verse 23, read to the end of the chapter. The Bible says, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23, And he went up from thence unto Bethel. And as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him and said unto him, Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. And he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood, and tare forty and two children of them. And he went from thence to Mount Carmel, and from thence he returned to Samaria. Now it's amazing to me that this text follows the event that took place in Jericho. Because it's almost like these two events are placed back to back, not just because that's chronologically how it happened, but I think we're to compare these because it seems like such a contrast of the two cities and the two events that happened, one in Jericho and one in Bethel. Because Elijah's time in Jericho was spent dealing with a curse. Elijah's time in Bethel was spent giving a curse. In Jericho, Elijah, Elisha, I'm supposed to be saying Elisha, just know that, okay? So no matter what I say, I'm supposed to be saying Elisha, all right? But Elisha's time in Jericho was met with humility. The men of the city came out and humbly asked him for his help. But Elisha's time in Bethel is met by mockery and by pride in these children. In Jericho, we see uh, death that is taken away and life is restored. But in Bethel, we see that life is taken away and death is given to these children in this City. Now, it's an amazing thing, the contrast here. One goes from curse to life. One goes from life to curse. And it's all a matter on how people responded to the man of God. And I want you to know tonight, when I say something about the man of God, I don't want you to think about 
that I'm elevating some man or, or anything like that. But I, And as I'll show tonight here in just a minute, I, I want you to know that the man of God here in this text represents God. It represents, uh, uh, represents the Word of God. And how these people interacted with Elisha really expose what they believed about God. And what just Elisha's all through the Word of God. I think about Samuel when Samuel was devastated over the backslidden condition of Israel. God had to encourage Samuel and remind him, listen Samuel, they've not rejected you. They have rejected me. So they is because you, Samuel, are just a mouthpiece. You are just a placeholder is all you. You are just a, a face. Uh, and I am the one using you. I am the one giving my word through you, and they have rejected my word. They have not necessarily rejected you. And we come to this passage, and we see that uh, it is marked by a little bit of confusion, controversy, something that's a little bit disturbing. In fact, a lot of the a lot of the books and men I read behind, not a lot of them, but some tried to maybe soften this just a little bit and say, well, maybe it's not exactly how it says or it's not exactly as bad as it might seem on the surface. But I'm just here to tell you straight up, I believe this book right here, and I believe it's as disturbing as it sounds it's as disturbing as it seems. Elisha is making his way through this city and 42, the Bible says, little children, uh, they were torn apart by two she-bears. Listen, there's no way to sugarcoat that. That word little children, it just means small. That word little means small, small children. The, the word children there can mean anything from infancy all the way to adolescence. But when you put that word little in front of it, it has the idea that they're small children. Probably, I would say, if we're thinking that they're in the range of seven, eight, nine years old, we're probably about right on target, if you can imagine. And the Bible says that, that 42 of them were torn apart by these sheep. And that word tear, it just simply means to rend, it means to break, it means to rip open. Now that is not a pleasant thought. That is not something that we like to think about, but that is something that is in the Word of God. And why in the world would the Bible record such a thing? Why in the world would God do such a thing and allow something like this to go on? I think there's several lessons that we can learn from our text tonight. Let me just kind of give you a couple that I think that come to mind as, I, as I've been just kind of meditating on this scripture the last couple weeks. And, and then I, I want to settle in on one which I think would be the main thought from this text. First of all, I think in this text tonight that we find a lesson about persecution. There's a lesson about persecution because it's amazing to me that Elisha is not in his new position long before he is met with cruel mockery. And I'm going to tell you what, that is a part of living for God. That is a part of doing anything for God. If you stand for God in this wicked world, you will have people that laugh at you. You will have people that make fun of you. You will have people that malign you. You will have people that try to hit you where it hurts the worst. Even your bald head. Amen. You'll have people that try to get personal with you and really it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with where you stand and who you represent. And by the way, I think this bald head issue right here, 
I don't think it was just a personal attack that they were making fun of him because he had a, because he had a bald head. I think they were trying to hit him where it hurt the worst. Where do you think this new prophet... Where do you think he was probably struggling in in the, in the, in the, uh, the most? Where do you think the area was that he was struggling in the most? Well, I tell you, I believe I know where it's at. I believe it would probably, logic would just tell us, common sense would tell us that he's probably struggling the most in the area of insecurity. Here he is following a legend, following the great Elijah, stepping into that office, stepping into that position, and he's not yet... Uh, not yet really proven himself. He's just getting started. A few things are happening, but not much. And what do they do? They come out and they begin to hit him where he is unlike his master. They say, go up. What are they talking about? Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald... What in the world are they talking about right there? Well, you got to go back a couple verses and you'll find out what did his master just do. He just went up. He went up in a whirlwind. He went up in a chariot of fire. They are asking him and mocking him about doing... They might as well be saying, you'll never be Elijah. You can't be him. You can't do what he did. If, and uh, go up. They told Jesus to come down off the cross. Come down. If you're, they mocked him by saying, come down. They mocked Elisha by saying, go up. Go up. And then when they said, thou bald head, was it really just making fun of his bald head? Or was it this area of reminding him and trying to poke at him and tell him, you'll never be like Elijah. Why do we know this? Because Elijah, the Bible tells us, was a what? He was a hairy man. Elijah was a man that had hair all over the place. I think he had a big long beard probably and, and uh, hair all over the place. And uh, Elisha was a baldy. He wasn't nothing like Elijah. And they said, you are nothing like Elijah. You never will be. And they began to mock him when it came to his inadequacies. The insult was to emphasize his inadequacies. But the truth is this tonight, that there will always be mockery, there will always be persecution, and don't be surprised when the enemy tries to hit you where you might be the weakest and where you might be the most insecure. And Elisha seemed to let God deal with it. He cursed them, but Elisha didn't have power over the animals. Elisha didn't have power over she-bears, but he knew the one that did. And I'm going to tell you something. When you are persecuted, when you are maligned, when you are mocked, just let God handle it. Just let God take care of it. It reminds me of what Jesus told His disciples. Just wipe the dust off your feet. And be done with it. It's a lesson in persecution. I think secondly that there in this text, we find that there's a lesson about parenting in this text. Wouldn't you agree that there's a lesson? We can't help wonder when I see these children. I can't help but wonder where are these children's parents and, and maybe why are they even doing it? Where in the world? Now listen to me. Where in the world did these kids get this from? Where in the world did these kids get this from? Making fun of the man of God. Where did they get this from? How, how did they know how to mock the, mock the man of God in this way? How did they know about Elijah going up? How did they know all these things? I'll tell you how they knew all these things. Listen, little kids, you better watch out. There's little ears in your house and they're listening to everything you say. And I'm going to tell you something. Usually when you find kids mocking adults, they're only doing what they hear at home. 
when kids have a distaste and a disrespect for adults, it's because they've been hearing their parents disrespect those adults at home. Amen. That's exactly right. I'm saying, listen, kids, they don't, listen, they're not mean enough just yet to be all kinds of, not in that way. Not in that way to be disrespectful like that. They've heard it from their parents. I believe with all my heart, these kids, they're probably the sons of the prophets' children is who they are because what were the sons of the prophets doing in Bethel? Back in verse number 3, they came forth to Elisha and they said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? What were the parents doing in verse 3 in Bethel? They were mocking the man of God. What were the kids doing in verse number 24? They were mocking the man of God. Verse 23, they were mocking the man of God. It's no surprise. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to make this connection right here. These kids are just doing what they saw their parents do. Amen. That's a scary thought, isn't it? To think that there are little eyes watching us, little ears listening to us, and we see in verse number 3, that these sons of the prophets, the Bible says that they came forth to Elisha. And in verse number 23, the Bible says that these children came forth out of the city. You know what that means? They went out of their way. It wasn't like these little children were playing in the streets and Elisha happened to walk by. The little children left the city, walked outside the city to go where the man of God was just to mock him and just to ridicule him. And they came forth. Their parents came forth, verse 3. They came forth, verse number 23. And then in verse 24, two she-bears came forth. How about that? I read behind one writer that said this, one old, one old writer, old writer, 1800s. He said, the persons really punished were not so much the children as the wicked parents whose mouthpieces the children were and who justly lost the gift of offspring of which they had shown themselves unworthy. That's stout. These children were just mouthpieces for the parents. They were mimicking what they heard their parents say. And I'll tell you where the real judgment, the judgment, you say, well, the judgment was on those 42 children. No, the judgment was on the parents who had to live with it. And I'm going to tell you something, mamas and daddies, you better watch out. You're setting yourself up. You're setting your kids up. Many times it's mom and dad that backslide. It's mom and dad that get cold on God. It's mom and dad that mock the things of God. And the children follow along in the footsteps and they're the ones that usually pick up the tab on it. Be careful, mamas, daddies. Be careful how you raise your kids. Be careful what you say around them. Listen, by the way, you're not supposed to talk to your kids like they're an adult. And I'm right on this. You're not supposed to talk to your kids like they're an adult and tell them every bit of gossip going on in the family and every bit of gossip going on in the church and every bit of gossip going on here and there. Amen. You're messing them up is what you're doing. And there these kids are just doing what the parents did. God help, I'd hate to know my kids were under the judgment of God because they were just doing what they saw Daddy do. That's what's going on here. There's a lesson about parenting in this text. I want to get to this just the last few minutes I have here. I want to 
show you there's a lesson about purity in this text because anytime we see impure words, impure deeds, impure actions, you always know that it comes out of an impure heart. These children said what they said because it was in their heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. These children mock because they were mockers. And that's what mockers do. Their lips expose their heart. That word mock, it just means to deride. It means to laugh at. It means to ridicule. It means to treat with scorn or contempt. The Bible says in Proverbs 14 that fools make a mock at sin. Fools make a mock at sin. And to take things lightly, to treat as no big deal the things that God takes seriously is one of the most horrible mistakes that you'll ever make in your life. So I want to... I want to look at the mind of a mocker just for a minute. The mindset of a mocker. How can I want to I want to spin this in the positive light? I don't want to just say what the mind of a mocker is, but I want to I want to I I try to try to turn this around and make it a little positive tonight if I can. And not just expose what the mind of a mocker is, but but how do we avoid having this this mindset of of those that would make light, those that would make a mockery of the things of God, which is exactly what's going on in this text right here. Can I give you three things very quickly tonight on how to to avoid having the, the, the mindset of a mocker? First of all, let me say this tonight, that if we're going to avoid the mindset of a mocker, I would say first first of all, that we need to receive God's priorities. Receive God's priorities. Because these children may have thought that they were just laughing at some bald man. They might have thought they were just repeating things they had heard their parents say. They might have thought that they were just... uh, you know, just uh, just following in their footsteps. And, and if their parents thought Elisha was no big deal, then they thought Elisha was no big deal. If, if their parents thought Elisha was worthy of scorn and laughter and mockery, then, then, then they would just kind of follow right in uh, behind behind what their parents were doing. And they, and they were taking this, this man, Elisha, they were taking him very lightly and they began to mock him like that. But can I tell you something about Elisha tonight? Elisha did not just represent some office. He didn't even just represent God. Elisha represented the choice of God. Elisha represented the priorities of God because it was God Himself who chose Elisha. It was God himself who put Elisha in the place that he was in. You'd have to go back to 1 Kings chapter 19 when Elijah was on the mountain and he's coming out of that depressive state that he was in and God gives him a meal and then he gives him a task. He gives him he gives him a job to do and one of those tasks that he was assigned with was to take the oil and anoint Elisha to be the next prophet in thy room and and Elijah Elisha was not Elijah's choice. Elisha was God's choice. God is the one who chose Elisha. God is the one who raised up Elisha. God is the one who put Elisha in that office. And I want to tell you something. When these little children were making fun of Elisha, they were actually making a mock at God Himself and the one
one whom God had chosen to be in that place. You see, this is more about just human dignity. This is more about more more than just about these children being unkind and being mean and and being a bully. This was about these children dishonoring God's plan and God's priorities. In fact, I would submit to you tonight that that is really what mockery is. Mockery is when you know what God's plan is and know what God's choice is and yet you go against it anyway. Because Jude says this. Let me read a couple verses out of Jude's, verse 17 and 18. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. What is one of the characteristics of mockers? They walk after their own ungodly lust. Let me rephrase that. They do what they want to do. They live the way they want to live. God's priorities and God's plan and the man that God has chosen and the path that God has chosen, it means absolutely nothing to them and they live the way that they want to live. Simply put, here's what I'm trying to get at. When you live the way that you want to live, you are mocking God. And mocking God is doing what you want to do and disrespecting disregarding everything that God has chosen and everything that God has put His hand on and everything that God has called holy and everything that God has called sacred and doing things your own way. That is really mockery. Because I guarantee you, most of us, we're not literally laughing at the things of God. We're not scoffing at the things of God. We're not insulting the things of God out loud. But we don't have to because it's in our heart. Whenever we look at God's plan and we say, I don't like God's plan. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't like God's way. I'm going to do my own thing. Can I tell you what you're doing, friend? You might as well stick your finger in the face of God and laugh Him to His face. It's the same thing as mockery. Living after your own ungodly lusts. And when these children mocked Elisha, they were mocking God's plan. They were mocking God's priorities. Mockery against God is choosing your own way over God's way. That's the mindset of a mocker. I can laugh at God's way. I can laugh at God's choice. I can laugh at God's priorities because they're not that serious anyway. What I want is more important. So how do we avoid becoming a mocker? I'll tell you how we avoid it. We receive God's priorities as the most important thing that there ever is. We take our plans and we humbly submit them to His. We Realize that God is always right, and if God takes something seriously, so should we. If God is chosen... By the way, that goes for church. You better be careful laughing at the church. This church wasn't my idea. Church is God's idea. You better be careful laughing at the preacher, not because who is your preacher, but you better be careful. You know why? Because a pastor over a local church, that wasn't my idea. I'm not the one that came up with that. God's the one that came up with that. And when you mock this office, you're not mocking the man, you're mocking the God who made the office. 
Amen. You better be careful laughing at this Bible. Children, you better be careful laughing at your parents. The powers that be are ordained of God. And when you go against them, when you go against your parents, when you go against authority, when you take your plans and what you want and you itemize them and prioritize them over what God has said, I tell you what you're doing, you're mocking God and you're in a dangerous spot. Amen. Rebellion is mockery. And mockery is rebellion. What these parents didn't know is that they were raising a bunch of rebels is what they were doing. Because you teach your kids to rebel against their teachers at school and you teach your kids to rebel against their pastor at church and you teach their kids to rebel against the government and you teach your kids to rebel against... I'm going to tell you what, you better watch out. You're going to look around and they're rebelling against you. Amen. That's exactly what's going on here. They did not receive. When they were mocking Elisha, they were saying, God, your choice is foolish. The person you put in this office is insignificant, irrelevant. And what they didn't realize is Elisha was God's choice. You don't mock God's priorities. Secondly, we're going to avoid this mindset of a mocker. We must receive God's priorities. We must make God's priorities our priorities. And secondly, I would say, not only should we receive God's priorities, but we should respect God's power. I would say these children didn't <laughs> come out of that city and start mocking Elisha thinking that there is any possibility in the whole wide world that their day would end and their life would end like it did. We read this story and wonder why these children would do something like this. We wonder how, how could you be so foolish? Kids, how, how could you do? Don't you know that's the man of God? Don't you know that's serious? Don't you know you shouldn't be mocking these things? You shouldn't be making fun of these things? But here's the truth. Listen to me. If these children would have known the outcome, they never would have done it. They wouldn't have done that. You think if they really knew two she-bears was going to come out of the wood and rip them up to pieces? By the way, there was more than 42 children. I don't know how many there were. 42 got torn. He said, tear 42 children of them. There was more. Some escaped. I wonder how they lived the rest of their life. I don't know about you, but I'll tell you how I'd live. I think I'd want to go. Uh, I think I'd want to go. Uh, maybe send Elisha a Christmas present. What about you? I think I'd want to take seriously the things of God. But these kids, they 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 did not. It wasn't even the realm of possibility. It didn't even enter into their mind that this was even a. What was that even going to happen? Because if they'd have known the outcome, they would have never committed the sin. But isn't that all of us? Isn't that all of us? If we would have known the outcome, how many can think about things in your life right now? And you say, man, if I would have known, it would have turned out like that. I never would have done it. If I'd have known that was going to be the price, if, if I'd have known that was going to be the cost, I, I wouldn't have done that. Well, of course. 
these children would never have done something like that if they even remotely thought that this would even be a possibility at all. But, but we know that there's a price for sin. We know there's a cost for sin. We know these things. We know we cannot just do wrong and get by. But, but let me ask you a question. Why do we do it anyway? Why do we sin anyway? And I'll tell you why it is. Because every behavior is rooted in a belief. And deep down, we never would say this with our lips, but deep down, we do not truly believe God will punish us. We don't believe God will judge us. We don't believe that there will really be real consequences for our sin. We do not believe in the judging power of God. In fact, in fact, here's, here's what the Bible tells us. We know, you, do you know that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap? How many, how many know that's true? For he that soweth through his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth through the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Do you understand? You understand? And I know ultimately we're saved and thank God for that, but do you understand there are real world consequences when we make, make sinful decisions? And God forgives us, yes, but that doesn't mean we, the consequences just all go away. We, but do, you, do we really believe that? Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Do we really believe that? You know how Paul started that verse off? He started off like this, be not deceived. What's the next phrase? God is not mocked. When we believe that we can do wrong and get by, we're mocking God. God will not be mocked. And it is a mockery when we do not have a respect for the power of God. We do not have a, here's what the Bible term is, a fear of the Lord. We do not have a fear of God. And that is the mindset of the mocker. The mindset of the mocker is that God is weak or God is indifferent towards sin or somehow I'm the exception and somehow I can do wrong and get away with it. And we think you can just live in sin and live in sin and live in sin and you can just sow to the flesh and sow to the flesh and sow to the flesh and that you're not going to have to reap it one day. But I'm here to tell you, friend, God will not be mocked whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. And just because you don't believe God would send two, bear, two she-bears out of the woods to tear you up, that doesn't mean that He won't. I don't mean that He won't. I don't believe God will. Well, that don't mean He won't. We ought not to live in this, you know fear of God, that we're scared of Him in the sense that, that we don't have a relationship with Him, but we ought to respect His power and respect His Word and believe that God has eyes like fire and feet like brass and He knows all and He sees all and we ought to live every single moment of every single day in the fear of God. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. sees all. And thank God for grace. 
Thank God for forgiveness. I'm going to tell you something. God is also a God of judgment. You need to quit messing around with God. The devil tried to get Jesus to mess around with God. Jesus looked at him and says, no, it's written. We don't tempt the Lord thy God. We don't just do what we want to do and expect God to just make everything okay. Don't tempt God. That's exactly what these little children did. It was a lack of fear of God. It's a lack of fear of God. I always think about, and I know I've preached this and I've said it so many times, but I always think about what God said to Miriam when, she come, when he come to Miriam after she'd been mocking the man of God. Wasn't she? She's mocking. I know it was her brother, but it was still the man of God. Who put Moses in that place? God did. And so when Miriam was running her mouth against Moses, who was she really running her mouth against? It was against God. God come to Miriam, and he didn't say, Miriam, why did you do this? He said, wherefore art thou not afraid? You know what he said? He said, Miriam, not why did you do it, but why were you not afraid to do it? That's a different question altogether. Because we can always come up with excuses why we did it. Well, you know, this and, you know, this per, you know, these children, if you were to interview them, if you could, they, you know, they get in the group and they, one starts doing it and other people start following and all that. I'm sure, and, and all that, so there's probably some truth to some of those things and I understand that. But I'm going to tell you something. If even there was just one child in that group that said, whoa, 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 that's the man of God. I ain't messing with him. I'm not touching him. There was just one that had some fear of God about them to say, hey, listen, there's just some things you don't mess with. There's some things you don't touch. There's some things you don't joke about. There's some things you don't laugh at. And that right there is one of them. Could have spared his life. The question is not why do you do it. Why aren't you afraid to do it? Where's the fear of God in your life? It's not why are you gossiping to somebody, but why, why aren't you afraid to gossip about them? It's not, it's not why, why, are you, why are you putting those things into your body, but why are you not afraid to? It's not why are you looking at that on the computer, but why aren't you afraid to? Where's the fear? I've always wondered, that's why people's actions, they, just, they reveal their heart. That's their heart. They do what they want to do. And my question is, why are you not afraid? Listen, there's thing, I'm afraid to live like that. Think how people treat the church and how people treat, treat the things of God and the work of God and the will of God. And I think, man, I'm afraid to live like that. You're not brave either. You're stupid is what you are. It's not bravery. Stupidity is what it is. These, these children weren't brave. They were stupid. Where is the fear of God? That's what we need. Y'all listening to me tonight? I know this. I know we ain't shouting and running the aisles tonight. But I might, I might could just save your home if you'll listen. I might could save your life if you'd listen. Have some fear of God. Fear of God. Where is the fear of God? Because I'm going to tell you something. There's things worse than bears. There's things much worse than bears. We shouldn't tempt God. Well, 
we'll conclude this happy message here tonight. This mindset of a mocker, how do we, how do we avoid it? How do we avoid having this mindset of, the, of a mocker? Well, first of all, we need to receive God's priorities. We need to respect God's power. And then lastly, and I'm done tonight, we need to regard God's presence. We need to regard God's presence. What's amazing to me is that I started out talking about the comparison between Jericho and Bethel, but, but, but what's amazing to me is this, that what was so valuable in Jericho, what was so precious, what was so uh, wonderful, here comes the man of God, somebody that can help us. Somebody that can do something about our situation. And Elisha received a welcome there. Elisha received a, there was a warm invitation. There was a, a humble pleading. There was a, there was a, a glad, a glad uh, a, a, a reunion there when he came back through Jericho there. It's somebody that can help us. And, and, and he was valued and he was valuable in Jericho, but he was despised in Bethel. treated one way in Jericho and treated another way in Bethel. And Elisha, it wasn't just Elisha himself, but it was who he represented. He represented the very presence of God in that city. And we see that, in the, we don't see that in the ministry of Jesus. Some cities he went to, they were glad that he was there. They didn't want him to leave. And some cities that he went to, they couldn't get them out fast enough. They were wanting to throw them off of a cliff. They were wanting to stone them. They were wanting to kill them. Some cities, they wanted to make them king. Some cities, they wanted to throw them off a cliff. <laughs> it's always amazed me. He upbraided those cities, didn't he? He said, man, if, if this would have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. Man, if these things would have been done here, they would have gotten right. But you do not value, you do not desire my presence. And let me tell you something about the mocker, and I'm done tonight. Maddie, you can come around to the piano. Let me tell you something about the mocker. He takes for granted the presence of God. He does not regard the present. It absolutely means nothing to him. God can be here. God can leave. I don't care. Because there's the truth. As I've studied this out, you'll find in the ministry of Elisha, he never goes back to Bethel. This is it. He just passed through. No miracles here. Miracles other places he went. No miracles here. Curses here. Death here mockery here. They never valued the presence of God. And I'm going to tell you something. We're not going to get anything done without the presence of God. We got to have it. The mocker can live without it. Who cares? Big deal. Big whoop. They disregard it. Because they will do things and say things. I mean, some people that are in church that grieve the Holy Ghost, they don't care if God shows up or not. 
They'll hold a grudge. They'll be bitter. They'll clam up. They'll write notes. They'll laugh. They'll just, they don't care about the presence of God. They don't care if He's here. They don't care if He leaves. They don't care if God ever comes back. They don't care if God ever does anything. That's the mocker's mindset. Who cares? Who cares if there's anything in my life that's quenching the Holy Ghost in our church? Who cares if there's anything grieving God in our church? I don't care if He's here. I don't care if He ever comes back. Can I tell you, that's a dangerous mindset to have. Because do you know what's going to happen if we don't have Him? Do you know the death? Do you know the devastation that's going to come to this church and come to our homes and our lives if we do not have the presence of God? How about instead of mocking the presence of God, how about instead of laughing, how about instead of being indifferent towards it, how about we long for it? How about we value it? How about we prize it? How about we be sensitive to it? I don't know what the cost of a real revival in Bethel would have been. Bethel was the center of idolatry for the northern kingdom. I'd have to go back, I think 1 Kings 13, 14, maybe, 13, I think it's 13. Jeroboam, he sets up the... He didn't, want, he didn't want his people crossing to the southern kingdom to go worship. So he said, All right, we'll make a place right here. We'll have a satellite campus right here. You can just worship right here. It'll be convenient worship. We'll just, we'll just do our own thing right here. And ever since then, Bethel, which means the house of God. That's what Bethel means. It means the house of God. It became the center for idolatry in the northern kingdom under Jeroboam, and now that's pervasive all around. And man, for a moment, just for a moment, they had a real man of God pass through there. They had the presence of God, not these false gods, the real God, the true God, the living God. Here He comes. Here comes God passing through their vicinity. And the only thing God got was mockery and jeers. Man, that's sad, isn't it? I don't know what the cost would have been for revival in Bethel. They probably had to give up some idols. They would have had to get right with God. They would have had to to repent. That's a great cost. A lot of people don't want to pay that. But I do know what the cost of no revival was here. I do know what the cost, or some of the cost of thinking God's presence was no big deal. I do know that cost in Bethel. If you don't know what it is, well, then you would just have to ask the parents of 42 children who were ripped to shreds by the judgment of God. In Bethel. I think the way we treat God and the way we treat His presence is a huge deal.